Welcome to the Fan Engagement Chat, the episode of the Fan Engagement Pod where we hear about someone's approach to fan engagement. This episode is a chat with Howard Crace, former president of the UK chapter of the International Association of Business Communicators and co-author of Who's Listening, a research project exploring how organisations listen to employees. We talked about the shared lessons and insights we can apply in football clubs. Howard also happens to have been the former chair of National League Premier Wildstone, so we were able to apply this to football as well. And the chat is a really good dig into why organisations don't listen enough, how that affects, in this case, fans, but also other stakeholders, employees and others, and why that needs to change. If you hold any communications role or you're a leader in football, you should listen to this episode. You can find the the report Howard co-authored with Kevin Ruck from the PR Academy in the episode description. And don't forget, you can find out how your club did and the Fan Engagement Index at fanengagement.net, where you can also register to access the Fan Engagement Hub, where there's more detailed data and case studies from the 2019-2020 Index. Enjoy the show. This stuff is the future. 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 So look, Howard, I, I, I met, I know you because of your old role as the chairman of Wildstone, <coughs> which I think um, you stepped down from about six years ago, probably maybe oh, seven. Four. Oh, was four. it four? Okay, there you go. My memory's not 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 working properly. Um, and um, your you, you, the re- one of the reasons. I mean, we didn't meet through. Um, we didn't meet through my sort of normal day-to-day work as supporters direct because um, I never, Willstone never um, came across my desk. It was never, I think maybe at some point there might have been some some conversations between other colleagues and the club, but I don't know. But it was generally something, I think um, you were a pretty stable club from my memory. Um, and... Uh, our, we met, I think, probably through the non-league show, which is why uh, I think that yeah. came up through that. And Caroline Barker was a mutual sort of acquaintance who, yeah. who presents the show. Um, and but what the reason you're on here, although that it's you know it's good that you've got that experience because it helps to kind of reflect on what I want to kind of draw you into, is your role in internal communications. But more broadly, more importantly, is the co-author of a report of a couple of reports for the international. Association of Business Communicators, yeah, um, which is about organisational. It's about the, the concept of organisational listening, but specifically with you, what you do is to do with that in concern in, in concerning employees. And I was interested in it because good organisations are good organisations, and I think a lot of this stuff can apply to football clubs as well. And I think more generally, the employee listening is good for external stakeholder listening fan engagement in my case so could you just explain a little bit about i know you've had something of a um let's say a concern or a an interest in in this area in organizational listening um in your area in a way that in the way that i have with football for for a long time so to tell me what just explain a little bit about organizational listening from where you come from and why why have you come to the point where it's important to start addressing this through through some formal work that you've done with um with uh, the 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 organization so the international organization of business association yeah. of business communications is 
so the organization you're president of. So um, do you want to just explain a bit more to us, please, Howard? No, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been a communicator for 25 plus years. And um, so, you know, in that time, you, you sort of take your own views as to what's important, what's not, and, and what's going right and what's going wrong. I've always dabbled a bit on some of the organizations that, you know, sector organizations, if you like, but actually my football um, time as it being involved with Wilson meant there wasn't much time to, to get involved in other things. Um, and I got a bit more involved once I finished with the football club to look at, uh, in, in, you know, comms. So I was the UK president, the UK chapter of IBC, IBC, International Association of Business Communicators, is, um, is a global organization. It's the biggest sector organization of its type for communicators, internal, external, of all kinds. But its, its main strength is in North America, US and Canada, but it is global. And in the UK, we have CIPR, Chartered Institute of uh, Public Relations. We have uh, um, Institute of Internal Communications. We have PRCA. So there's, you know, there, there's a number of different organizations. It's a very congested market, not particularly um, customer friendly, let's say, uh, audience friendly. Anyway, um, I um, attended an IBC European event um, a couple of years ago, and uh, we ran a session called Open Space, where you sort of talk about anything that's on your mind. And this thing around listening had always sort of been at the back of my mind, and it's something that I wanted to see if I was alone or, or there was, you know, some other people who uh, recognize this as an issue. And, and, and for me, where the issue started was that um, what I saw, and, and I've done in my time um, a variety of roles as a communicator, in-house consulting agency, my own company for a while. Um, but I've been in-house in big companies, big global organizations for the last 12 years or so. And what I saw was that increasingly um, people were chained to their desks, um, the, their inbox was getting bigger, like for everybody. And, you know, success was almost getting rid of stuff out of your in-tray, pressing publish. And no one I could see was really taking the time to say, what did the audience actually, who are our audience? What do they want? What do they consume? What, what, are, they, what are they interested in? And, and then, you know, how are the things that we're producing actually dropping and, and, and being received and being acted upon. You know, if, if as a corporate communicator, you're just putting stuff out and, and, you know, the worry is you can get, and I think we've moved to this to, to a large extent, which is a huge worry. You know, you can get really um, well, you know, good praise from your, from your sort of your, your internal customer, if you like, from senior leaders uh, telling you, yeah, this was great. You know, the video looked fantastic, and uh, or the or the you know whatever it is that you produced, you know, looked great, and no one watches it. So it's however good it felt when you when you sort of signed it off, it's a complete irrelevance. And I suspect so much stuff that's produced in corporate communications, internal or external, could just be bonfire fodder of complete lack, you know, no relevance. And for me, the biggest reason for that is, are we listening to the audience? If you're I think in consumer marketing, for example, if you're not listening to the audience, you won't last long. You know, you have to know where your audience are at. You have to really understand what the audience are doing. If you're, if you're involved in, um, you know, proper external communications, again, you know, you'd be, you'd be really listening to 
you know, that, that audience segment you're trying to influence in, in whatever way. And why aren't we doing it for employees? Now, it's not easy. You can't just go, you know, particularly if you're in a global role, you can't just get on a plane, especially now, but any, even before COVID, you can't just get on a plane and go and say, well, I'm just going off to wherever to run some focus groups, or I'm just going to, you know, have time out my diary to go and uh, to, to listen, you know, unless there's a, some reason for doing that and some output and some, some proper outcome at the end of it. Um, but it felt to me that, you know, where this raised issues around where are communicators coming from? Um, what are we actually asking them to do other than being increasingly people who just produce stuff which may or may not, you know, there's an increasing debate about measurement, but I don't think it's the right debate necessarily, measurement of communications. Um, and it, struck, it strikes me very simply that if you're not listening, frankly, you know, what are you doing? You, you've got, you know, being blunt, you've got no reason doing the job that you're doing because, you know, how can you possibly tell if you're successful? How can you possibly argue that you know better than anybody else, which you should be able to do as the person responsible, you know, what your audience need and what needs to be produced to be successful. And everyone thinks they're a communicator, of course. Um, and, and so, you know, to me, it's a fundamental part of the communicator's role. And I, and I worry greatly that it's being squeezed by fewer people being asked to do more, like in many areas. Um, a reliance on very, I think, untrustworthy um, measurement and um, and and you know as as you as you do different jobs and as you get into potentially into global roles if if your experience is a sort of a UK based communicator and suddenly you're doing global role if you're not listening to what people in China or US or Africa or wherever are telling you again you know how, how can you possibly think that you can communicate effectively to them and it's not just that you know if you're if you're it doesn't have to be global if you're if you're used to communicating to people who sit in an office and have a laptop and and suddenly you're talking to people who work in a factory and don't have a laptop and you know you've got again a totally different situation so so i just think listening you can't do your job if you're not listening i, I think it's always it's incredibly difficult to say that you could do your job effectively and I think that uh, that that was always what was in my mind. So, at the um, at the event I was at, you know, we, a few people sort of got involved in this conversation. And when we came back from that event, together with uh, Mike Poundsford and Kevin uh, Ruck, we we decided to do some work together to to see where it would take us. And you know, really in the sort of couple of years or, or whatever it's been since we started, we 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 just carried on and and. Every time you know, we publish two reports now, and we, we did a small scale survey. Uh, on the back of that survey, we, we ran some other events. We did some more qualitative interviewing senior communicators. Um, that led to the first report. And then we, we wanted to find, and we spoke um, when we teamed up directly with the IBC. They helped us um, uh, find some people who we could call High, you know, sort of high performing communicators, people who won multiple awards with the IBC and the IBC uh, sort of standard of excellence is, is excellent, is, is a really good standard. So that, that gave us the confidence of, you know, how, how do really good people talk about listening? Um, that was helpful. And so we, you know, on the back of the work with them and some other things that we were doing, we produced a second report. 
Um, we continue to do webinars and, and events and um, we have another one coming up in a couple of weeks actually. Uh, and then um, we, we're planning to do like a global survey, which, uh, you know, bigger survey, and that will be really interesting for a number of reasons. So we don't know that there's more to do after that. There is no sort of necessarily big plan to write a book or to, you know, do anything more. But I think we're making a contribution. And, and what's interesting is that people, every time we've run events, the turnout's really good. The topic seems to resonate really well with people. Um, and I think that, you know, you also pick up, there's more and more, um, there's more and more people talking about listening, you know, in, in, in terms of opinion formers and stuff that you see, whether it's on LinkedIn or other articles or whatever. So I, th I think, I, I hope, and I think that there's, some momentum behind this topic now how that then leads into communicators actually doing things differently and better it's a different question but um that's where it came from and that's what the sort of the, the drive and the passion has been because i just um feel that if you're not doing it, it it's a it's a big worry and and you know certainly formed how i've gone about comms and and it was a big part of what i did with the football club so right now there's a lot to unpack there. one of the things that strikes me that's great no thanks for that strike this the, the there's a, several things that strike me but one of the things that i've talked quite a lot about and i studied actually um <coughs> i i um kevin ruck albeit briefly was a tutor of mine on my public relations diplomas i think i mentioned previously yeah. to you when we spoke before yeah. um and uh for what for my final project i looked at organizational listening institutional organizational listening and the the um thanks to one of my tutors um which i think part po pointed out what a massive issue it is now i looked at it in the context of football uh, and football clubs and um what i'm interested in you're talking about um you know communications i think if i can sort of sum it up communications as noise um, which is what I think a lot of um, a lot of communications has become. Um, in, it's become increasingly about noise rather than what is it someone's actually saying. Um, who are they speaking to? Why are they saying that? And, and I think in, in in many respects, football clubs have this kind of built in, and you will know this, albeit at a smaller scale. I think you can scale up very easily and see that football clubs at all levels will have this problem of it's very easy to communicate when you run something like a football club because there's always something to say because you're always telling someone something the really difficult part is that bit about listening now what i'm interested in is um, um is what um when you were talking about in you know you were talking about it from internal perspective and listening to to your employees and leadership in that area that effect of what is the effect of um, of that of a lack of or an absence of listening internally in the organisation for say you know for, for for a football club for a club of any description rugby club cricket club um, what is the effect on what goes on externally does it have do you think it has a real genuine impact on because you oh, okay so companies still exist they still sell they still provide services so. If 
if they're not listening to their employees, what is the impact on external stakeholders on, 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 in this case, fans, what is the, what's the actual impact on them? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a simple answer because as we know, and particularly in football, you know, you can, you can pretty much get away with anything and people still come back the following Saturday. Uh, it's not, it's not like you're going to change brand or, or not go back anymore. You, you know, you, you've really got to do something serious for that to happen. Um, I, I think, I, I, I think, I think, <clears throat> let me just respond in a couple of ways. I think that the, the thing about noise is, is, is I think is actually, um, in some respects is a backhanded compliment to the world of communications is because I think what's happened is that, um, you know, with good intention, people have realized we need to communicate. Whereas in the past they didn't communicate. They just haven't realized that the more you do it, you just create noise unless you, uh, you know, you, you plan and you're careful and you think about people and you, and you, you know, it's not as simple as just sending stuff out. And so, so I think that what's happened is we've, we've actually gone over period I've been working, you know, we've, we've gone where, where, where there's an acceptance where we do need to communicate. We just haven't worked out how to do it effectively yet. So maybe, maybe that's to come. Um, I think, I think you see surveys and, and you see these reports, you know, fairly regularly that say, UK, global, whatever it is, engagement levels are at 30%, 40%, you know, and, and that, you can believe those as much as you want, but it's probably something in it. And it probably tells you that most people aren't too happy or, or don't feel connected or don't feel that they are actually that bothered about giving that extra bit of effort to, you know, that discretionary effort, if you like, to, to, um, to their employer. Um, and, and I think that, you know, what, what does listening actually do positively is it creates, it builds trust, it builds connection, it builds that sense of, um, I have a say, um, which I think is really important. Um, it builds, uh, I say the trust I think is, is critical, particularly in a world today where change is omnipresent. Um, and it builds ultimately, if we use the word engagement, which is probably a catch-all for all of those things, uh, and I think also, you know, on the other side of listening is that, you know, where you do listening well is you actually learn and you bring insights which should improve the organization. And I, and I mean the same for a football club as I do for, for any other organization. Um, you know, if you listen to people and you hear the themes and, and, and the words they're saying, you should be able to, to really understand what, what their experience is like and therefore you should be able to improve that experience. And if you improve that experience, you should get better results from it. Um, you know, it, business is still business. And so you're doing this not because of some sort of political, social sort of dogma or, or theory that just says we need to be nice to people. But, you know, from the belief, at least from my perspective, that if you, uh, if you invest in people and if you make them feel more engaged, that they will give that more discretionary effort that they will trust you that they will go with you and that the change that you're inevitably going to implement the difficult stuff as well as the easy stuff and that might well mean and say all the time today you know things like redundancies you handle that better and you handle that you know no one's saying listening isn't about making tough decisions it's about doing it in the right way hi i just want to take a quick moment to tell you about match day digital the world's first 
Football First digital magazine platform bringing together premium paid content from clubs, match day programmes, popular football magazines, newspapers and high quality fan produced fanzines. It's quite the list. Uh, match day digital brings football content and supporters together in a single app which allows clubs and other publishers to deliver their content to a much wider audience than they would through their own print or digital sites and apps all especially relevant obviously during this covid era you can download the app on google play and apple store go to matchdaydigital.co.uk for more and if you're a club drop the fellas over there a line they're really friendly and i'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs well that's can i can i just sorry can i just interject there that's one of the things that um every single person that I've worked with or that I know of that I've been spoken with, interviewed, worked with who um, in, in football, who adopts that culture, adopts that approach where listening's for when it's good and when it's bad and you've got to do it all the time. Um, they all handle problems far better and all, I was having a conversation with someone the other day um, and uh, a senior leader in, 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 in a club. And we were talking about the COVID-19, the refunds um, and all those sorts of things. And they were asking me, so what's the pattern been like? You know, what have, what's the uptake been when it comes to trying to um, persuade fans not to, to ask for their money back? Because, you know, it's a massive liability and clubs have tried to avoid that if they can. And I said, do you know what, straightforwardly, the ones that have had... Um, uh, fans where fans have said no no keep the money or or in some cases like Doncaster Rovers did it have actually had people phoning up and saying can we give you money it's been where they already had frameworks of listening they had they did all the things that you identify and what you're talking about all the things that Jim McNamara identified more generally in his report which I talk a lot about on uh, through the work of fan insights all of the class that um, that, that, that I talked about in, in the research I did for my diploma and identified as listening clubs, if you like, they all had no problem, really. Um, and in fact, to say, well, they were almost enhanced um, and they had people be almost beating their doors down to offer money. Mm. And actually, the other part of it was, and this is, this is an area of interest because you're talking about global business. So if I can compare global business if we said, you know, the local is League Two or non-league clubs and the global is the Premier League, you know, and in many respects, that's very true, but they're still domestic businesses. Um, I found that to be the case, regardless of what level those clubs are at, that you can have some very, really high performing listening uh, clubs listening at the top and you can have some really high performing listening clubs at the bottom and you can have a lot in each place which don't do that and they and they suffer from the problems of not listening so this yeah. isn't about a size issue is it either it's it's um it's about something like command and control do you operate in command and control do you do do you actively want to hear what people have to tell you and and absorb that and take that into your decision making isn't it i've i found that um in my time at willstone um you know we didn't listen to our fans you know, as our sort of chief stakeholder, if you like, um, you know, we were, a, we were a club, we, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have achieved anything like what we achieved. And, you know, we always talked about 
we were a fans club. We didn't go through the um, sports direct or anything like that, you know, sort of model, but we, we sort of uh, rescued the club from, from when it was about to be uh, basically closed down by the administrator back in the nineties and fans ran the club. And, um, and, and so, but even, even that doesn't take you, you know, that far in terms of the trust that other fans give you It's fine for a period of time. But, you know, football's football and, and people, you know, you, you realise that whatever's going on off the field, people want to see results on the field. They'll, they'll, they give you a bit of licence for a while, but not for too long. And, and I, I found it really interesting that no matter how much you try and share and you try and listen, you know, you're, if, it's never enough. And I don't mean that badly either. It, you, you can never stop and say we've done it now, we've cracked it, people understand, you know, you've got to keep working, keep trying, keep pushing the lines and, and you know, this is where we are, this is what's happening. You know, we had, a, I, I found towards the end of my chairmanship, a, a, what I thought was a really interesting debate at the football club. And I and sort of posed the problem, the, the sort of, uh, we did sort of strategy work, if you like, you know, to, to make it corporate. And and um, and we asked the question mainly of of our fans, not so much some of our other stakeholders. You know, what club do you want to be? At that time, we were I think we were just into the National League South, but we may still have been in the Ryman League at that point. I can't remember. And and we laid it out in terms of you know what could happen because if you think about it, you know the supporter wants to well anyone involved in a football club, anyone wants to go into every game wanting to win that game. Otherwise, why are you in it? You know, you want to win, of course you do. And so, but actually, if you start to work it out, you say, if we win enough games, we're going to get, we'd be successful. And if we're successful, we might get promoted. And if you get promoted, you get to the next level. What does that mean? And then you want to do it all again and you want to get to the next level. So for a club like ours, and, you know, this season we're about to go into the National League um, for the first time in 30 years or something, which is fantastic. It's a very different National League to what it was when we left it. Um, but you know, now we're facing up to some of those challenges because we're now spending money on the ground. We have to think, you know, you don't go to these leagues just to struggle and survive. You want to be successful. So now the club has to ask itself, do you want to be a football league club? Do you want to, do you, is that the ambition? And what does that mean? What are the steps you've got to take to get there and bring people along with you in getting there? Because that's a very different existence to, to what our fans have grown up and been used to. But those words, Harry, right, that thing, Howard, that thing about um, um, having the discussion, the bit that, and I've seen that happen at a few, and I'm not going to go into huge detail, I mean, I've seen it on my own, we've, you know, we've had that discussion at Wimbledon in the past in a very formalised way, um, uh, and, it, and it sort of, I, I do understand why, um, why, why clubs find that difficult, um, but but I've again I sort of tend to find that if you don't shy away from, it's not even if you shy away from. It. I think if what you do is you persuade everyone that as long as you've got the right manager everything's fine, um, or as long as you, um, as long as you are here on the wage bill nationally or in, the, in your division rather than down there, yeah. that, that 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 it's all okay. And it's not even that I want to kind of you know strategize everything to death because I think you've got to get back to that point which is which is what a lot of your report and, and what you're talking about is about more generally is about leadership and about actually good leadership is about listening and it's about the unpopular truths isn't it sometimes and sometimes it's about actually saying 
to people, okay, you can tell me uh, how much you, you know, you're fed up with how badly we've done and all that kind of stuff. But it's not going to solve it if all we do is talk about that. But I know that I have to take that on. There's a particularly good example of this that I wanted to get to, which is a guy called Ryan Sparks. And that he's the commercial, um, he's the communications and marketing director at Bradford City. And I'd be interested to reflect on this in a little bit more general terms um, with what you do in organisations that might be perceived as failing. And they had a real problem, desperate trouble. You may or may not be aware that they had a, a it was it just everything went really bad. Um, the, the bloke who caused most of the problems left and, um, and Ryan was sort of in towards the end of that, tried to tell him, he said this publicly, tried to say to the guy, you need to leave, it's just not working. Um, eventually the bloke did leave, I'm not sure whether that was because Ryan said it or not, but what Ryan spent the last year doing is going out and basically going into pubs, into clubs, um, to where fans are and has just absorbed all this criticism and not just to absorb it for its own sake but just to get out a to, to demonstrate that listening is something that the club is prepared to do but b also to identify where they can start to fix the mistakes yeah now that's quite difficult to do isn't it if if you were running a company whatever type is a failing company let's think nokia 15 years ago when they've just fallen you know the the, 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 the bottom's just fallen out of that sector of the market and you're trying to come in and rescue the business. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's not effortless. Yeah, look, I mean, and, and it's not the only thing that's going to save you either if you've got a bad business plan or, or, or you're just, um, you know, your company's not set up in a good way. You know, listening is, is not going to save you. But... Um, I, I think that, you know, I t just bring it back to the employees in, in the company case or, you know, fans in the football club case, you know, I think it, it builds trust. It, it, it sort of creates connection, um, which is critical in a football club, you know, and, and you'll see it far more than me, Kevin, I, I, I know, but you, you know, if you, and we can see it you know, even at Wildstone in the time since I've been, since I stepped away and I, and I deliberately, um, and I've never sort of changed from this. I, I stepped away completely. I'm still a fan, but stepped away from, I was asked to stay on the board, said no, and I've never got back involved. So as a fan and seeing it from the other perspective now, you know, the, the chairman that followed me, we suddenly went from, uh, well, we went from no money to being the big budget team in the league. That was, a, and uh, you know, that was a bit of a disaster, to be honest. And for 18 months, the club was, uh, was at war with it you know how quick we descended to that uh was amazing and and it seems now we've we've you know had an amazing season that chairman didn't last more than a season and a half that doesn't mean we're out the woods in terms of either you know sort of financial challenges or internal infighting because there's still sort of issues around share ownership and and so on that need to be resolved but um it, it just shows how quickly things can fall apart and uh, you know and, and 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 there was a lot there was certainly um no listening going on because people were just you know drawing their 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 battle lines and and deciding you know which side they wanted to take and so i i i i feel that clubs you know we were a club you know we didn't have much money we always said that but we had an army of people who would get involved and whether that was give up their time in the summer, that was fundraised, that was just put money into the budget when it was needed, whatever it was, 
you know, I, I always believe we had that because, because we, we tried really hard to bring our people with us, you know, to, to talk to them about where we were going, to listen to them about what was on their mind, to answer their questions, to make sure people felt that they were in the know, you know, to be visible as a leader, you know, I think is critical, you know, and it, it helped that it probably did help in that I was from the terraces and gone back to the terraces, you know, so I wasn't, you know, someone who just jettisoned in with a lot of money or, or came from nowhere. And I think that helps, but it, it's not the only thing, you know, you just need to do all those things that good leaders need to do. And, um, you know, I think to be a really long-term successful football club, you also have to have the thing that I couldn't deliver, which was decent in, income streams, profitable income streams, which are going to, you know, can go into a competitive budgets because you can have the best the best sort of internal uh, workings in the world but that doesn't mean you're going to be successful in football at every level of the semi-pro game and the pro game is is you know is, is heavily dependent on money as well so that you know the two have to go together uh if you if you want long-term success i think but um i i think that you can buy success but you will not buy a, a, cl a club with a community that's going to go with it um, without without doing all those all that good stuff off the field. So just um, one more little thing. The the, <laughs> bit, the bit that strikes me again. It's the um, you you know you're talking about you're working in a global um, you know you work in a global organisation yourself, and just the sort of methods of communication. Do you think there's something of a um, and this might relate back to what we were talking about in terms of noise. Do you think there's a little bit of an over-reliance on, um, on, on social tools, on social media? Um, again, perhaps it's part of the discovering what's, what's going to work, but that actually the, the idea of real face-to-face -face communication, listening, the, you know, this, it's what Damien Irving, who used to run the Cronulla Sharks, he now runs Ebbsfleet United, who's just swapped places with Wilstone and, and, and ran Wickham for a while and a couple of other clubs. Um, it's, it's what he calls sincerity. And actually, when it comes to listening and sincerity, you can only broadcast through a medium for so long. And being either seen like face-to-face, -face, at the very least on a screen, but really face-to-face -face in a room, that in the end, that's what we, you know, that human contact is massively, massively important in listening. Or does it not matter? It definitely matters. That again, why do I trust someone? It's because they make me feel, you know, good about my, myself, my views, that they're interested in what I've got to say. It's incredibly difficult, not impossible. It's incredibly difficult to do that on social. Um, unfortunately, what's happened, I think, is those who shout loudest, those, you know, those sort of keyboard warriors who, who go on, whether it's on Twitter or on forums or whatever, can have a disproportionate voice and can be listened to just because sometimes, you know, you, you, it's almost like it feels it's deafening. And then you can realize that there's maybe only a few people who are, who are sort of constantly on those, on those tools and those channels. And, and my worry, you know, again, as football club chairman with a very active fans forum would be very critical at times was yeah but how many people are you really representing and and uh, am i listening to what was in essence the pub conversation not not i shouldn't be listening to that um but now is conducted over a keyboard what about all those people who, who just don't you know the 80 the 95 percent of our fans who aren't on this forum why should i give this forum extra 
you know, voice just because people shout on it. Uh, and it's the same on Twitter as well. Now, the mistake you would make, I think, is to say, I'm not going to listen to it at all. You absolutely should. And, you know, if you know some of the individuals are on there, you should be talking to them. You should be understanding what's driving some of those conversations. And you'll know, like in any organization, you're going to have people who fundamentally don't agree with the direction, which is totally fine too. But I think that, you, you know, a, a good leader needs to judge appropriately and not ignore and not dismiss, but recognize that there's more than one view. And uh, so I think that, you know, they're good sources of, of listening, social tools, but nothing beats actually getting people in a room or on a Zoom call these days or whatever it is, and actually just having a chat and talking about stuff and being open about stuff and ask me anything type questions, you know, I'll tell you maybe. And, and, you know, again, a good leader can absolutely say there may be some things I can't tell you because it's delicate because we're talking, you know, there's, there's some sensitivity about it. And I think people understand that and they buy that. The, 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 what the, the poorer leader does is they just stay silent about it. They let the vacuum exist. And people can then say, oh, that, what didn't they say? And so, you know, sometimes just saying, there's certain things I can't talk about. You'll understand that because there are negotiations going on. Maybe it's about individual players, maybe it's about tenure issues, whatever. Um, just having a chat and being able to answer most things will take you so far, I think, as a, as a football leader.